0: Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at IKEA in India. Jotsna Singh talks to Amy Kasmin, the FT's South Asia bureau chief, about the hurdles the Swedish retailer had to overcome to open its first store in India and about what its prospects are for making a success of the venture.
1: Amy, you were at the launch. Just describe what it was like at the inauguration. Did people throng the store as it opened?
0: The mood at the inauguration was really something. They believe that around 25,000 people came into the store on the first day. I think possibly more would have come in, but there started to be some crowd control issues. But I was there when the doors opened and people started flowing in, and they really were people from all walks of life. The first people that I saw walk in were a Muslim family where the woman was in a full burqa with only her eyes showing Then she was followed behind by a family where the wife was wearing a traditional sari, followed by young couples who looked like IT professionals in t-shirts, and a Microsoft employee who told me he'd taken the day off work, and then a family from Chennai, hundreds of kilometers away, who said they'd been waiting so long for this and they wanted to be there on the first day. So it was a very, very diverse crowd representing really all walks of life.
1: IKEA made its first bid to enter India over a decade ago. Why has it taken so long to make it to India finally?
0: So IKEA actually applied to enter India and set up a retail business here back in 2006, 12 years ago. But at that time, India still had very tight restrictions on foreign investment in retail businesses. Foreign companies could not own more than 51% of a retail business here. IKEA applied and then probably started finding out about the rules and then started lobbying for the rules to be changed. In around 2009, IKEA actually announced that they were giving up and abandoning their plans to set up shop in India because the Indian government, after many, many discussions, and and IKEA also said kind of promises that the rules would be changed. Nothing was happening. And it was not until 2011 that the Indian government finally changed the rules about foreign direct investment in retail and decided to permit 100% full foreign ownership of what they call single brand retail so single brand retail is when everything that you sell in your store is your brand so every single thing is say ikea's every chair every household product it's all branded ikea multi-brand retail, where 100% foreign investment is still not allowed, would be something like Walmart, which is basically selling the goods of many, many different brands. In 2011, India finally agreed to allow 100% foreign investment in single-brand retail, but then it also imposed these sourcing conditions, saying that 30% of everything that IKEA sold in India had to be Locally sourced in India, but not just that, but made in India by small and medium enterprises. IKEA found that condition also objectionable because they said, if the business is growing and we're expanding, then if our suppliers grow, then suddenly they can't be our suppliers anymore because they're like not small and medium enterprises. So... They negotiated for another year with the Indian government, which finally relaxed the sourcing conditions to say you can fully own your business and within five years, 30% of everything that you sell in India should be made in India, preferably by small and medium enterprises. So it wasn't mandatory that the made in India things had to be done by small and medium enterprises. So I think IKEA then finally felt in 2012 that it had the conditions that it could live with and six years after its original obligation it reapplied for permission to invest in India. IKEA because its stores are so huge they actually buy the land they build the buildings it's not like they just like walk into an existing shopping mall so that process has taken a long long time and finally they opened their first IKEA in India in the southern city of Hyderabad.
1: To all the protracted negotiations finally came to fruition and the company is here. How much is it investing in India?
0: So IKEA has permission to invest 1.5 billion dollars in India and it has a big plan it already has in addition to the land and store that it has built and completed building an open in Hyderabad it has acquired a site in Mumbai it's planning a large store in Delhi and it's planning a large store in Bangalore so these will be its first four showpiece stores this Hyderabad store is 400,000 square feet these are the huge traditional Ikea stores They say, basically, by the end of 10 years, they want to be present in 49 cities, 30 of those cities will have some form of physical presence and the rest will be served by e-commerce. IKEA is looking, because of the difficulty of setting up these huge large stores and putting them on the periphery of these vast Indian cities, which can be hard for people to reach, they're also planning to open smaller stores in city center locations. So it'll be kind of a combination of smaller city stores and then e-commerce. They are talking about investing further and seeking more permission. I think IKEA definitely feels that India is an extremely promising market for what they have to offer. Indian consumers are notorious for looking for a good deal, for looking at quality at the right price, and there's also huge numbers of young people that are starting families just now, the Millennials, breaking away from the traditional joint families and moving into their own small apartments, and I think they really see this as a tremendous potential market.
1: IKEA seems to be betting big on the Indian market. What are some of the main challenges and risks for the company, you think?
0: So obviously, India is an incredibly price-sensitive market. I think IKEA really has gone a lot out of their way to try to make adjustments that they think will appeal to Indians. For example, at the restaurant, there's no Swedish meatballs. There are chicken bowls and veg bowls, And along with the Norwegian salmon or Swedish salmon, you can have dalmakni or biryani On the food front, I think they do not want IKEA to be seen as an elite store for elite people. 200 rupees is like $3.50. So they've got a 1,000 items that you can take home today that are under that price point. The cheapest item that they're selling is a set of... Four very brightly colored, reusable plastic spoons. I actually bought some for my daughter to pack in her school lunchbox. They were selling for just 15 rupees. That is a tiny amount. I saw a man who was carrying his motorcycle helmet in his hand. He had it upside down and out had a few packs of those colorful spoons. Given the amount they've invested, they cannot make a profit by just selling lots and lots of packs of inexpensive plastic spoons. So I think it will be profitability. I think they have a product offer that speaks to the Indian consumer, that speaks to many consumers across the classes, but If the rupee weakens considerably, the imported products will become much more expensive. And also, this government suddenly seems to be displaying, probably in keeping with the tune of the times, a protectionist bent. Import tariffs on a variety of items have been raised. Some of it has been retaliation against U.S. tariffs, against Indian aluminum steel. But some of it is just protectionist. And the government has also set up a high-power task force to advise on how to reduce imports imports. So if somehow IKEA, which around 70% of its things at least are imported, if tariffs on imports rise or if the currency falls, pricing of these items could become more complicated and the offering might look less attractive and less affordable to the target market. So I think that is one of the risks. Otherwise, in general, I think that they seem to have really done their homework. They visited a 1,000 homes to assess what Indians are looking for, how they organize themselves, how they use their space. And if tariff barriers don't become a problem, I'd say they seem like they should do pretty well.
1: That's all from me and Amy in Delhi. Thanks for listening.
0: That was Jotsna Singh talking to Amy Kasmin, the FT's South Asia Bureau Chief. We'll be back with more news tomorrow, but in the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com/offer.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.